Have you had a busy week in the market? Not had time to catch up with the latest trends? Well, welcome to Cloud9Fin, our suite of podcasts where we bring you the need-to-know information on deals, documentation, ESG, and we deep dive into the themes, showing up in the high-yield, leveraged loans, and restructuring spaces. We also have our US podcast, which features discussions with members of the North American Levfin market, so be sure to check in every Thursday for that. I'm Catherine Hidalgo, a loans reporter at Ninefin, and I'll be your host for today when we'll be looking at all payers restructuring plan, new SFDR disclosure rules, and looking at structural adjustments. We'll get to the covenant close-up soon, but first, the Levfin headlines from this week. Foncia, Tenneco and Nielsen are in the market with issuance. We'll dig into this later in the podcast, but Opea on the 15th of November released details of its refoundation plan, which it says will involve all stakeholders to reshape the troubled French care home operator. Lenders are reducing their positions in Philips Domestic Appliances, or PDA, ahead of this week's earnings, expecting another disappointing set of results to follow. As the high-speed drama of F1 racing increasingly captivates audiences and sponsors in the United States, its media rights owner Liberty Media is aiming to win over the country's debt investors. German off-patent pharma firm Chepler Farm has returned to the market with a new waiver request, according to three lenders into the business this time sweetened with a 50 bips consent fee. Next up, we have the Covenant Close-Up where we dig deep into um, a specific covenant. Um, Today with me, I have Janisha Amin, the co-head of European Loans Research. Thank you so much for being with us today, Janisha. Thanks for having me, Kat. So today we're gonna be speaking about structural adjustments. Why, uh, why has this one come into the fore? Uh, why are we talking about it today? So we're talking about it today because we've seen a couple of uh, sponsors come to the market with structural adjustments um, in their loans. So a recent example is Keta, which we've uh, all written a bit, quite a bit about here at Ninefin. Uh, that was a maturity extension, which is a type of structural adjustment. There were some other elements to it as well, but uh, in terms of structural adjustments, it was a maturity extension. And recently we see another example, which is Faleo Foods that's come to the market with a redenomination of one of its tranches from sterling to euro. Uh, Again, that's another type of structural adjustment. Cool, so yeah, if you could define for me and for our listener, what is a structural adjustment? Sure, so a structural adjustment is also known as a facility change, which is probably a better way of describing it. And it's essentially a change to the economic terms of a facility. So to give you a few examples, uh, maturity extension, like I mentioned, a redenomination. You can also have payment reductions, including margin or uh, deferral in the amounts that are due uh, under a loan or also an increase in commitment. So there are a variety of of, uh, types of amendments that are called a structure adjustment, but essentially they are changes to the facility. Okay, fascinating. So from your piece, I understand that uh, each of these different types of structural adjustments have different voting requirements. Um, if you're interested in hearing about that and reading about that, I should say, um, please go to Ninefin to read Janisha's piece. Uh, but maybe if you could just give us some red flags to watch out for when dealing with structural adjustments. Sure. So, uh, I mean, just the history on structural adjustments. Uh, Typically, these amendments required all lender consent, and that could be a bit unwieldy, especially 
um, pre the financial crisis and afterwards as trying to get all lender consent for restructuring might prove tr tricky. So structure adjustment provisions came about and they allow amendments to the facility with less than all lender consent. So typically majority lender and participating lender. Um, nowadays, especially with the loosening of covenants, generally a lot of structure adjustments just require participating lender um, consent. And in terms of what to watch out for, I'd say the main thing to watch out for is just that the structural adjustment provisions don't allow the sponsor to uh, introduce a loan that's ranked senior to the existing facilities. That should be an all lender matter. And if it's a structural adjustment, then it could be introduced with majority lender consent, which uh, is obviously something that uh, other lenders generally would not want. Sometimes we do see that permitted, usually with supermajority lender consent. So we have seen the structure adjustment provisions allow a senior loan to be introduced with supermajority lender consent. So that's typically 80% of lenders. So definitely watch out uh, and make sure that the structure adjustment provisions don't allow for um, a new loan which is senior. It should just be a new loan which is pari or junior to the existing facilities. Next up, we have Please Raise Responsibly, uh, where we discuss ESG. So today I have with me Sammy Cole, one of our lovely ESG analysts. Thanks so much for being with us today, Sammy. No worries, Kat. Happy to be here. So today we're doing a second part in um, an SFDR uh, series. Last time you kindly uh, talked about the new Article 8 and 9 funds and today you're going to be talking about what they're going to have to disclose come 2023. Um, but at the first off I wanted to ask you how are you finding this research? Yeah so basically it's been it's been quite hard because there are different aspects of the regulation and also things have been pushed back. So originally um, the application date for level two SFDR was in January, 2022, but now it's been pushed back to the 1st of January, 2023. Um, and there's also been a few changes to the regulation over the last couple of years. Oh God, sounds like a tough one. <laughs> um, so walk us through, what do funds already have to disclose? So basically, level one, SFDR, relates to quite high level disclosures from FMPs, and that's mainly at the entity level. So these include disclosures on an FMP sustainable investment strategy, where they outline how ESG risks are integrated into investment decisions, and also uh, disclosures on how ESG risks are integrated into remuneration policies. And then finally, as I spoke about last week, FMPs have had to categorize their financial products in terms of sustainability. So that's into articles six, eight, and nine. And just to recap, article six means no sustainability um, considerations at all. Article eight are funds that promote sustainable characteristics. And article nine funds have sustainable investment as core to their investment policy. So what will those Article 8 and 9 funds have to disclose come 2023? So basically in 2023, it's the Level 2 SFDR, which is also known as the Regulatory Technical Standards. And so that's much more detailed disclosure, especially for Articles 8 and 9. So as well as the disclosures for Articles 8 and 9 funds, all FMPs with 500 employees or over will have to disclose PAIs, both at entity level and at product level. Oh, what's a PAI? So a PAI is basically a principal adverse impact. 
and their basically potentially negative consequences an investment decision might have on sustainability factors. Um, and they refer to a set of 14 mandatory data points. So that's both environmental and social aspects. And they aim to show how financial market participants, how their investments can pose sustainability risks. And as well as these 14 indicators, at least one extra environmental indicator and one extra social indicator must be considered. So these indicators, for example, can be greenhouse gas emissions, carbon footprint, greenhouse gas intensity, as well as social factors such as gender pay gap and broad gender diversity. Next up, the deep discussion, where we discuss a topic a little more deeply. Today we're going to be talking about French care home group or payer, which has launched a 3.8 billion euro restructuring as the inflationary environment has made its debt burden unsustainable. I have with me today Chris Haffenden, editor and distress reporter Bianca Bora. So Bianca, tell us about the current restructuring proposal. Yeah, so we heard a lot more details about it on the uh, call with creditors this week. So on Tuesday, the group detailed what its current restructuring plan would be. It's proposing converting uh, 3.8 billion of unsecured debt sitting at Orpea SA into equity. It would also like to amend its covenants and raise around, so they gave rough estimates of 1.9 billion to 2.1 billion of new funding. Of the total new funding, 600 million will be new secured debt and the rest will be from second share capital increase. So the existing senior secured debt will be extended to June 2028, and its margins will be reduced by 175 basis points. Early repayment clauses linked to asset disposals will also be removed. The group had previously planned a real estate disposal plan for 2 billion euros. That's now been abandoned due to significant asset depreciation and difficult financial conditions. So this, they've said, will lead to a short-term liquidity shortfall of 600 to 800 million euros for the period up to the first half of 2023, which will be mostly funded by secured debt raise. Without these disposals, liquidity will be under severe pressure by February 2023, the group warned. And the company is working with Rothschild and Perella Weinberg Partners as its financial advisors and White and & Case and Bread & Pratt as legal advisors. What unsecured debt does Orpea have? So the group's unsecured debt is made up of unsecured bonds, shine, and bank debt. And so far, we have seen two unsecured bondholder groups form, and one has appointed Wilkie Farr and PJT as its advisors. Um, sources told Ninefin that this group is of a decent size and contains uh, distressed funds as well as one power investor. Uh, the sources also told Ninefin that the before the creditor call, the bondholders are willing to inject new capital into the company in order to reinforce their position in the post-reorg capital structure. Another group of unsecured bondholders, which mainly consists of power investors, is represented by Evershed Sutherland. And some of those holders are also willing to put in new money. We are aware that other groups are also forming and looking for advisors. Creditors are aiming to get together a creditor coordinating committee. Uh, they were hoping to do this ahead of the call on Tuesday. Uh, we also saw some trading um, of Orpea's Schuldstein ahead of the call as funds were trying to get involved. 
Uh, JP Morgan bought around 35 million euros of the Schuldschein. 20 million of this was bought at 16 and the rest was in the low 20s. The bank was then planning to sell that debt onto the interested funds. The valuation of the company will play a key factor in whether investors will want to invest in the equity. Chris, could you tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Um, I think one of the interesting things for us is whether, you know, that we've seen distressed funds were quite interested in putting money in. Uh, we were a bit surprised at that at the time because there wasn't a lot of information available. And, you know, from the, the outline the company has made uh, yesterday, there's still a lot of gaps in there in terms of information and in terms of they've readily admitted that there's problems there in terms of they don't really know what the value of the assets will be that most of the real estate that they have uh, in terms of their their care homes looks like that's going to have to be revalued down substantially so the sort of asset backing for the business is obviously one thing you have to look at i suppose that if you're looking at it um you know what sort of is the valuation of the business they're saying that they're only going to be able to deliver down to about six and a half times as at the end of four year 25 and that's down from about 25 times as at the end of this year. So, you know, where do you value this business? Do you value it at sort of eight to nine times? If you do, then there is some equity cushion, but then you have to sort of think about, well, how's the equity going to be allocated? Is the equity going to be, if you know, the people are putting the new money in, how much of that sort of uh, post-reorganized equity are they going to get? You know, how much more incentivized are they in terms of getting a better equity position by putting in the new money as compared to those which are getting equitized uh, under the uh, the debt for equity swap, where virtually all of the unsecured debt is going to be wiped out and uh, swapped for uh, for new for new equity. There's also talk that that swap will actually be done into preferred shares, and if that's done into preferred shares, do those preferred shares rank ahead of the new money that's coming in, which might be pure equity? So I think the structuring of it is also going to be really important. And I think you know the the distressed funds will actually have to be you know doing quite a lot of work here and trying to work out you know exactly um, what information do they need to feel comfortable about committing that money as the timeline is very, very short. They're talking about trying to get fully funded commitments to the equity by mid-January, which doesn't give you a lot of time. That's only a couple of months away. So, Chris, tell us about the French restructuring process and the timeline for all payer. Yeah, um, the, the restructuring is a bit weird because the, there's already this conciliation process that's going on where the company is actually using a court-appointed official um, to negotiate with its unsecured creditors. I mean. The company has admitted that the unsecured debt is split into a huge number of different portions. I mean, there's lots of sort of bilaterals there. They've talked about sort of 738 counterparties. They've talked about the fact that they still don't really understand all the documentation and they've got hundreds of lawyers working through it. So there's going to be a lot of um, a lot of discovery. But the idea is that there's meant to be a meeting with Helene Blubalou, who's actually acting as the conciliator here, and effectively that's meant to happen on the 1st of December. That's the first meeting that she's really going to be sitting down with the unsecured creditors. And the idea would be that we understand is they're trying to get a sort of common committee together because there's so many different groups of unsecured creditors with various advisors. The idea is to try and get a one common group to, uh, to discuss rather than having sort of various, various groups. The idea... We understand that we mentioned this um, a little while back and was confirmed by the company is that they want to sort of get an agreement and then implement it via a process called Softguard Accelerate. And Softguard Accelerate is a, uh, a fast track way of implementing a plan. So think about the sort of the Softguard plan in France, but think about the fact that this is actually much, much quicker. Um, it has a sort of two thirds approval threshold. 
and the, the creditors will be put into sort of various classes. It's clear that obviously in this case, it's the unsecured you need to deal with because the secureds are, you know, are fine. So the question then is, you know, can you get that sort of two thirds approval, you know, to get that through? Aupair has a lot of controversy around it, surrounding its treatment of patients. Tell us about that, Bianca. So in a bizarre turn of events, during the investor call, the French police raided dozens of Aupair's facilities as part of an investigation into the mistreatment of patients. The, um, the French public prosecutor has been investigating the company since the start of this year after um, journalist Victor Castanet released his book, Les Fossoyeurs, which translates to The Gravediggers. The book, which came out in January, is the result of his three-year investigation into the company's operations. Um, in response to this, several family members of Orpea's residents launched lawsuits against the company, and the government has also ordered it to pay back 56 million euros of misused public funds. And that's all we have time for this week. And if you do want to read more about some of these situations, head to ninefint.com slash insights, where you can see some of our content in front of the paywall, or you can drop us an email at team at ninefint.com. We're always keen to hear your suggestions for topic ideas, your comments on our discussion, and your feedback on the platform. If you like this podcast, don't forget to like and share it. Tune in for the US edition next week. And I'll be back the week after. And in the meantime, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music and Google Podcasts.